Happy Wednesday, folks. This is a Tomorrow Christian Today. Very much in the beginning of the Bible, trying to read Genesis 18 tonight in the NLT. But first, we have to pray. Let's come and ask the Lord um, to come before us and give us his wisdom. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Your word is a joy, Lord. In this world where everything is so flagrant, so exaggerated, so temporal, so much full of a tussle, everything is about arguing, about this and that, and there's so much contention and relationships um, between people are so hard to keep going, and time seems to be so fleeting, um, and there's so much change about. We just ask you to keep us constant and consistent, keep us calm. Uh, keep us in the eye of the storm where there's peace. Help us to keep calm and carry on, as one of my friends said. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all these different Bible translations. Please uh, help us not to miss the salient points and help us to enjoy reading the Bible so it becomes part of our life, something that we can't do without. And give us the wisdom, Lord, to be able to progress through our Christian walk with you. You're walking with us and help us to trust you more every day. That's part of it. We need to trust you more. We need to have joy. And that's trusting in you and asking for the Holy Spirit day by day. Pray without ceasing. Thank you for listening to my prayer. Amen. It says a son is promised to Sarah. Verse 1. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. So his name has changed now. He's the father of many nations. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. So he has a very hospitable spirit. You know, he has a very welcoming spirit. Doesn't seem that he's suspicious or he knows who it is or he believes it is. You know, immediately you see the number three there and you think of, oh, it's God, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what people have said. Or some, someone else said it's God and two angels. But obviously, they're not just regular human travels. I don't know if he knew this immediately, but somehow throughout the progression of the chapter, there is a progression of knowledge that he's not just speaking to three weary travelers. Um, he says, verse 3, My Lord, he says, if it please you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. Oh, it sounds like um, it sounds like a washing of the feet. It almost, I mean, he just... I, I guess they had to do that. Uh, maybe that's where Jesus got that tradition from because it was very dusty there. As I understood that when you walked in those kind of uh, places in Palestine and, you know, the Middle East, it's very dusty. It's very hot. And so you wash your feet. I don't know why. Maybe to clean your feet or have you ever soaked your feet? I've soaked my feet a few times in life. And uh, it was really what an amazing feeling. Your feet are hot and aching and you just put your feet in, uh, you know, um, I guess a basin of warm water. It's like, oh, wow, this is heavenly. I think I've even had a, I've gone to a, a person who cleans up feet. Like I, my wife took me there in Croatia and the lady was like scraping at my feet. And, you know, I guess, I don't know how I got to this point, but it, it, my feet just felt so revitalized afterwards. I felt like I was walking on cushions. Anyways, that's just my take on it. Verse five, and since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. Honored your, your servant. So 
I don't know if he realizes who he's talking to or that's how they talk to people, your servant. You know, he's very hospitable and he wants to serve. He has a very serving spirit. Um, John MacArthur in his uh, ESV study Bible says that uh, perhaps saying Lord um, in verse 3, it's just perhaps first uses the customary respectful address of a host to a visitor. And then later in their interchange, it was used knowingly by Abraham of his true and sovereign Lord, whom he must have recognized when the visitor spoke of himself as Lord in verse 14. So obviously Abraham um, has that res- respect. He has that relationship with God. It's amazing when God comes a calling. You know, God comes to visit your house. Like, um, quite amazing. Um, I remember looking at that movie in 1981, Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell. And, um, you know, Matthew and Peter hate each other. I mean, Peter hates Matthew because he's a calls him a, a, a leech, a tax collector. And Jesus says that he, he would like to know from Matthew, is your house far? I would like to go and visit your house. And everybody snickers because nobody visits tax collectors. And in the movie, Jesus comes to Matthew and the guy who's playing Matthew, I, I think it was really well done. He just, he looks at Jesus in such shock. Like somebody's actually coming to visit my house. And he says, welcome. You are welcome here, master. So it was really well done. And I just really liked it. It was. It seemed very genuine to me. So he had a very welcoming spirit. Abraham is saying, welcome, Lord. Welcome. Come on in. Refresh yourself. So verse 6, Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, a calf, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready... Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. So, you know, I was looking at this yogurt and milk and roasted meat, but, you know, I I looked a new version to see, did he really give him yogurt? But the ESV here says curds, and I think one version said butter, another version said cheese. So, you know, the yogurt thing is not far-fetched. You know, because as soon as I saw yogurt and milk and cheese in the NLT, I thought, oh, wow, you know, some um, I, I forgot the various versions of yogurt, but it was just Abraham is serving God yogurt, but maybe he was giving him curds, you know, and, and I'm drinking a whey powder, uh, which is protein. And that's that, that's, you know, that's that's whey that that is from milk and from cheese. And it's a protein, you know, it's, it's to be a source of protein and it's really whey. So it's definitely coming from milk. Verse 9, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. And you know, God is always asking questions he already knows the answer to. Because remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God says, Adam, where are you? <laughs> I was hiding. Why, why were you hiding? Like God knows everything that's transpired. But it's like a record. It's like he's, you know, I, I guess I've seen some YouTube videos and also in my own life, when my kids were small, they're getting rapidly big now. Everybody said that that phase of life would happen quickly, and it certainly did. Is when the father is talking to the young child. The young child knows he's done something wrong, and the father's sort of asking him, okay, um, tell me what you've done. Um, was that the right thing to do? And, you know, the child is just being silent. So I guess the visitors are just asking him, you know, where is Sarah, your wife? 
Verse 10, one of them said, I will return to you about the next time, about this time next year. It says one of them. So, you know, I don't know what that means. Like if it was God and two angels, why is one of them saying something like this? I will return to you about this time next year. I mean, the angel could be designated as an ambassador for God, but it sounds like it sounds like God himself is speaking to, to Abraham. I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. So Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Verse 11, um, Abraham and Sarah are both very old this time, by this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children, long past. Verse 12, so she laughs silently to herself and says, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is also so old. So this version here says that she laughs silently. I wonder what verse... Let's see what the ESV says. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself. So she didn't guffaw out loud. It was kind of a, a silent chortle, a silent, like, <laughs> come on, you know, get real, you know, to herself. But in verse 13, the Lord says to Abraham, why did she laugh? Why did Sarah laugh? So how does the visitor know what is transpiring under her own breath? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Do you think if somebody comes a calling and they start to use some kind of supernatural knowledge on you, you might, this is the part where Abraham becomes self-aware. This is not a regular person that's come into my tent. You, do you think maybe it was around here that he was kind of figuring this is no extra, this is no um, ordinary visitor. This is someone extraordinary. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I guess that clinches it, eh? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. So both of them laughed. Abraham, Abram laughed when he was Abram and Sarah laughed. And these are the, 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 the father of faith, you know? Um, the, the mother of faith. This is the faith couple right here. And they had, they laughed. What do you do when you're skeptical? When someone tells you something and you go, Psh! <laughs> get out of here. I don't believe you. No, I, I'm, uh, I'm not mocking you. I'm just totally skeptical of what you're saying. No, you're right. I am mocking you. I don't believe you. Both of them laughed. And they laughed no less at God. When their whole lives were oriented around God and faith. Do you remember that story where, um, you know, they're praying for Peter and Peter's knocking at the door and this, um, I think the servant girl's named Rhoda and she's saying Peter's at the door and they're going, Psh, you know, stop disturbing us. We're praying for Peter. <laughs> what did you say? Like we pray for something and we don't honestly believe it when it actually, when God answers our prayer. And then because sometimes I think God has answered my prayers, you know, prayers, prayers that I've prayed. And when it does actually does happen, you know what I feel? Six inches tall. I feel stupid. I feel stupid for doubting God when he said not to doubt. I feel stupid that I'm supposed to be a person of faith. And I can't even believe that God could answer a small prayer. And then my mind starts to work on me like, oh, he was going to answer it anyways. Or it wasn't a big deal. It would have happened anyways. So it's like our minds are just primed against faith. Like, 
you know, I remember reading something or somebody saying, you know, we humans, we, we have faith killing substances in our blood. We kill faith. We don't believe in God. We don't trust God naturally. Even people of faith have trouble trusting. We have trouble enduring. We have trouble having a constant faith. It goes up and down and vacillates back and forth. It goes into the valleys, then you're, you're on a high. One day you just feel like you love everybody and the next day you just feel like, I hate everybody. I can't even leave my house. I don't really believe this. This is, oh, this can't, this is too good to be true. This could never have happened. God's not going to come and answer my prayer. He's not really coming. There's no real heaven, a new earth prepared, is there? I'm never going to see Jesus. I don't know about all of you, but I have my ups and my downs. I feel like I'm trending more up than down, but to say that my faith is constant and consistent, I, I think it vacillates. Somebody reminded me of Paul's prayer in Romans 7, where he says, the things I want to do, that I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing them. It's like, oh, wretched man that I am. I know Jesus is real. I know God is real. I know it's real. I know the Bible is real. I know my Savior loves me. I know my Savior is at the right hand of God. I know that somehow what happened on the cross, somehow that event, that that justified our sins. And I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and walked to that tomb three days later. I believe that. I live my life around that. And yet when some simple thing happens, I have doubts. Unbelievable. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and she will have a son. And then she denies it. And he says, no, you did laugh. Admit it. Fess up. You know you have your doubts. But you know that, that, that God says that you have to come to him through faith. So let me just read this. The, the faith chapter. That verse in the Bible. They're all great verses, aren't they? Where is that verse? Here. Now I'm not finding it as I wanted to. Oh yes, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. This is the hall of fame, the hall of faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It says you must believe. Oh, I have doubts. I know. Me too. It's like God allows us to be put in faithless situations where either two outcomes will happen. Either your faith will disintegrate and grow weaker or your faith will get stronger and more powerful. You can't stay where you are. The Christian walk is that. It's a walk. It's a progression. It's going forward. You can't go backwards. This world is trying to get you to come to a stop or regress. It's throwing all kinds of distracting things at you, all kinds of activities to do, all kinds of movies and this and that to see and do. Some of these things are wonderful things. All of these hobbies on YouTube, 
all of spending all your money. But what's the first priority if you're a God-fearer? First priority, set your things, set your heart on things above. This world is not your home. You're just a passerby. You're just a nomad, just like Abraham was and Sarah. You're just living in a tent. Your body is a tent. All the riches and all the things that people aspire to, those are all good when you have to retire and stuff. And we all want to go on vacations and have a party and have a good times. But those things are temporary. My dad is trying to win the lottery. You know, and and I guess he's joking around with me, but it's like, stop wasting all your money on that stuff. You've never won before. You're not going to win now. Like, why are you worried about money making the world go round? Aren't you just happy for a day of life? He's had, he's, he's had a cancer and he's beat the cancer. Thank God. Cancer of the, of the big intestine and they cut out some of it and he's fine. And he's 94 and he's still going strong. Thank you, Jesus. Don't worry about the money. Just give God thanks. Be thankful for life. He is a good man. My dad is a good man. But sometimes I just wonder, what does it take? What will have to happen? What kind of a scare might you have to endure before you'll just put all that other stuff behind you and leave it there? I guess we all have our besetting sins. We all have our things that keep tugging at us, that keep saying, hey, come back. Come back for a second look. All the things we know we got to leave behind. They're not going to help us in our walk with Jesus. Our walk is an unencumbered walk. Let all those things go. Because the cross is the way to the heaven is the narrow way. There's no room for all this other stuff we're carrying. All the spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, money baggage. Leave it behind. It's just weighing you down. Um, the next verses is there's a heading here so the first ver the first one to 15 was a son is promised to sarah oh that's an interesting heading yes a son is promised to us all we just got through the season where god gave us a son the promised one the one that would come the chosen one the one that would come and 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 change the game of sin we were losing under the weight of sin but in genesis 3 15 god promises the eschaton somebody's coming and he's going to turn around this battle he's going to get bruised and he's going to get scarred but he's going to win the battle not only for himself for all of us a son is promised to sarah in genesis 18 and a son has been promised and has come and is at the right hand of god your mediator your savior your king your friend forevermore of the order of melchizedek and he's and he is your advocate before the father abraham intercedes for sodom verse 16 the men got up from their meal and looked out towards sodom as they left abraham went with them to send them on their way so they're looking towards the evil town right should i hide my plan from abraham the lord asked for abraham will become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him god you know, Jesus said to uh, the disciples, it's not for you to know the seasons and the plans of the Father. But at the same time, the Lord is very transparent. He's told us things that he wants us to know. He's told us what is, is what we need to know, what he believes that we need to know. 
I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. God has singled you out too, and me. We're all little mini Abrahams. God wants us to keep direct our sons and our families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. And my own family um, doesn't really want to do that. And I was very shocked. And I always thought to myself, could I have said it a better way? Could I have done it a, a better way? But you don't get a second chance, right? Life is a draft. You just, you, you, you do it one time and you, you make mistakes and I've made plenty. But we're supposed to tell our families to do what is right and just. And I feel I've done that. I told my wife what is right and just. And so far at this point, she has rejected it. And I'm still in contact with my son through the Google chats. I don't really talk to my daughter. It's a, it's a point of pain for me. And I'm reminded so many times God allows things to happen for my good. It doesn't feel good. But for the long term, the long term is heaven. I'm reminded of what Joseph said to his brothers after what they had done to him, you know, and he could have been very bitter. And, you know, this is, let me see if I can find it. It's, uh, I believe it's in Genesis 50. Let me go quickly. I just overpassed it. So I'm shuffling with um, Dr. I'm dancing here with Dr. MacArthur's um, ESV Bible. And let me just go to it quickly. And boy, I tell you, I have to learn patience. When I'm trying to find something, I want to find it now. Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Well, I'm not a Joseph, but I guess we are all, things are going to happen to us so that God is chiseling us to use us as his ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors on earth. Now, I don't say that arrogantly. I say that with humbleness and respect. We have to represent Jesus and his character in the proper way because Jesus' character is exactly like God's. Verse 20, the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. It sounds similar when God says to Moses, I hear the noise of war in the camp and they're all partying and dancing around this crazy calf. God is not against you having a good time and going to a party, but he's against sin and, and, and it being so flagrant. And there's a lot of flagrant sin in our society that just throwing it in your face. They don't even try to hide it anymore. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. That's what the NLT says. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. So the Lord remains with Abraham. So the other two maybe are just angels. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Supposing you find 50 righteous people living there in the city, will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I really like that statement. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I remember watching in the Bible, or it was from the Bible, and it was a movie. It was an old movie, and George C. Scott was Abraham, and he says to God, Should not the judge of the earth do what is right? In a delivery that only George C. Scott could deliver. And he was talking in this very passage. And God is saying, okay, I'll, if I find 50 people 
in verse 26, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And he speaks up again because Abraham knows God is he's, he's merciful and he's righteous and he's good. And God goes through no lengths, um, goes at great lengths actually to see if he can save people and work with them and, and perform remediation. And this is a question people ask, is God righteous? Is he going to destroy the good with the bad? And it says, Abraham spoke again. Should I have begun? Let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. But he's pretty humble. He knows his place. Suppose there's only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. And he goes some more. Verse 29, it says he presses his request further. Supposing there's only 40 and the Lord replies, I will not destroy it for 40. Please don't be angry. <laughs> He's really pushing it, eh? He's really trying to lower the bar. He's going to the limits of God's mercy. God's mercy is unlimited. God doesn't want to do this. You know, I heard somebody just say the wrath of God is the sorrow of God against sin. God sorrows when we sin because we don't reach our full potential. I want to reach my full potential. The world is not going to help you reach your full potential. All the world can do is build kingdoms with bullets and guns and force. But God is trying to build your full potential by building up your heart. The Christian church is supposed to be the representative of God on earth. Not to be arrogant people who create truths and beliefs that we have to defend. But rather people who have the truth that is given to them by God. And we're supposed to build people up. That's what it says in Acts 20 around verse 30 something. It says the church to build you up. Abraham pleads in verse 30. Please don't be angry, my Lord. Supposing there's only 30 people there are found. And the Lord replies, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Abraham pipes up again in verse 31. Since I have not dared to speak to the Lord, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Supposing there's only 20. And the Lord replies, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Wow, Abraham is really bartering with God. Eh? Usually you barter with something, someone because you want to squeeze as much out of them as you can. And Abraham wants God to spare people. How can Abraham be more merciful than God? And even in, in um, Exodus 32, um, I believe it's Exodus 32 when Moses and God are having a talk and God says, let me alone, just get out of my way. I'm going to destroy Israel and I'll make you the head of the nation and I'll, I'll, I'll have children from you. And Moses says, Lord, with a, with a great merciful God, will he destroy his people that he's labored so long to save? Will people not say that you are not merciful? You took them out in the desert and you killed them. And God says, I will spare them for your sake. How can Abraham and Moses be more merciful than God? Is God teaching us a lesson? Is he using, is he using these sinful men to show us, how, to have a conversation with him and how good he truly is? Because it's all God's mercy. It's all God's mercy. God is a creator and the creator does not want to destroy. He wants to remove sin, but sin is attached to us. How do we save the creature and remove the sin? God found a way in Jesus Christ, but you are the one that has to open the door. You have to open the door. God will open the door but he will give you the power to open the door. I don't know how it works. God does it. We do it. I don't know how it works. God does it in us. 
God softens and God hardens some people. I don't understand it, to be honest. I know what the words say. I know what my mind says, but I'm not really sure. But God is doing it. But you're doing it. You've got to open the door to let God do it. But God softens your heart so you will open the door. I don't really know how it works. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the twenty. Finally, in verse 32, Abraham says again, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Wow, he's really pushing his limits. Suppose only ten are found there. And the Lord replies, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. Isn't that amazing? 50, 40, 30, you know, 20, 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. Are we having conversations with God like Abraham every day? I'm in my tent right now. I'm in my body. My body's a, a broken tent. It's, a, it's, a, it's breaking down. I'm going to the gym. I was too tired this morning. That's my tent. My tent is breaking down. The outer man is disintegrating, but the, the new man, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Is that the same with you? Have conversations with God. I used to hear that when I was young. Oh, prayer. Prayer changes people. You change when you put it in front of God. It's like, oh, give me a break. I don't hear God speaking. He is speaking. He is speaking to you. You just have to listen. I want to listen better. I want to listen more. And it's kind of, as we will see, that the angels went down or, or God went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the only people that got out was Lot and his two daughters. That was it. Three people got out. His wife was running, but she turned back and she turned into a pillar of... But that's for the next... That will be in the next podcast. God bless you all. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. God is the one speaking to you. I'm just the guy with the podcast. Listen to God. Follow God. Do what is right and just. See you soon.